Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Doctor Within. I'm Sam Wilkinson, MS2, here with fellow MS2 and classmate Bridger Battaglia. Uh, today, we're joined by two guests from the AAMC, which we're really excited about. We have Christina Tushman and uh, Shira Kaplan. Um, so I just want to start it out and uh, by saying thank you so much for coming all the way out to Utah. I know it was kind of a, a long flight. Um, but we've, we've had a really good time. We've spent most of the morning with you two and, and really enjoyed it. Um, why don't we start with, with Christina telling us a little bit about your role at the AMC. Um, I'm currently the director of leadership development at the AAMC. Um, my role is to serve our constituents. Um, so our constituents are the faculty, the professional staff, and now the students. I mean, the students are a huge constituency base, but we're now starting to really think about them in through the lens of leadership development and what their needs are. Um, so our role is to serve um, to serve our constituents' needs in regard to leadership development by putting together a portfolio of offerings, courses, programs, workshops, um, and events to help them not only develop their leadership skills, but to also build a network, which is a big part of leadership. Um, so that's two of the big drivers for people coming to our events is to, to learn and um, kind of skill up a little bit on leadership skills and to kind of enhance and build, build their network across different medical schools. Uh, and I am the program manager of leadership development at the Association of American Medical Colleges, the AAMC. Uh, I work with Christina. We have a team of three of us. Um, and like Christina said, we have a portfolio of about 16 different courses and seminars and workshops that we run. And we sort of divide them up. So um, I do about a third of the um, workshops and seminars that we do. Um, and what's really exciting is we offer all kinds of opportunities. Uh, to date, it's been specifically for faculty and staff at medical schools uh, to help them along their professional journey. So whether they're brand new, an emerging leader, uh, whether they're sort of at a tr transition point. I actually um, just about a month ago was running a, a seminar for brand new associate deans and department chairs. And so it's really nice that we sort of can help them sort of along their entire professional journey with all kinds of leadership skills and tips and tools that they can sort of take back and apply. And we're really excited. And of course, this is why we're here today to just see the wonderful things happening here at University of Utah Medical School um, to be entering the space of student leadership development. And I'm excited that's a project I'm working on with Christina. Um, and so looking forward to seeing where that's going and, and sort of where the AAMC can have a value add. And how we can help schools that are not as fortunate as yours to sort of offer leadership development to their students. I think that's uh, we t something we take for granted, right? The fact that we're at this school and there is such an emphasis on professional development early on, even in the preclinical years. Um, I'm curious, what are some of the things that you've found uh, on a national level that you're seeing when, you know, either early physicians or people that are put in leadership positions for the first time, where are you able to help them the most? And, and where are the shortcomings you're finding uh, of things that people really need to learn before they're able to step into those roles and be, be effective leaders? One thought I had um, was, the, I think the hardest time, uh, the hardest transition for um professionals is when you switch from an individual contributor to a to a manager. And I think that when you're just responsible for your own work, you just sort of go about your day and, and everything is um, sort of within your sphere of influence because you're an individual contributor, which is an incredibly important 
part of of all that is done. Um, you know, that's all you need to sort of be concerned about. But when you sort of shift to supervising others or managing others or even starting to think about vision and strategy, and I think that that's a very hard transition. So I think that we um, spend a lot of time helping people go from a individual contributor role to a manager supervisor role because that's a really big transition point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because we have a seminar for early career leaders, um, faculty and professional staff, and we have a really great conversation with them about what they need to start letting go of from an individual contributor point of view, what they start to need to shift to. And we make a really clear distinction for them between managing and leading because they're both equally important, but they're very different things. Um, so I think that's kind of a light bulb for some of our um new early career leaders coming through our programs that, hey, I need to know how to manage, which is how do I execute, get things done, make things efficient, have a smooth process, keep everybody in the loop, you know, all those things to keep the wheels turning every day. But then also as a leader, you need to have like forethought to the future and being preparing your organization for what's to come and what's ahead and having a vision about where your organization is going. And those are two different types of skill sets, managing versus leading, but you can't be an effective leader without having some of those management skills. And you can't, you know, you you need both to be successful. I've had leaders in my life who have been really strong managers, but didn't know how to lead. And those who have been really good leaders, but didn't know how to manage. And those can be kind of pitfalls. So um, that is something that we work with early career leaders on um, as they're trying to figure out what leadership is, and what they need to start doing to kind of fill those leadership roles in their in at their institutions. We also focus on important topics that it's really, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey, uh, in your career, uh, effective communication, being on a team, um, conflict management, like we did earlier today, um, you know, all kinds of skills that you're going to encounter every single day in your career, and also, frankly, in your personal life. And what are good strategies? What are good skills, good tips? And then Going back to your question, Bridger, I think the earlier you develop good habits, the better. And so um, it's much harder sort of once things are more ingrained to change how you act and behave. Um, and I think the earlier that we could not just be exposed to, but practice and sort of embrace good skills, good habits, um, it, it just serves us so well in both our professional and personal lives. I completely agree. I think that's uh, one reason why we're, we're- or one of the many reasons we're so excited to have you two out here, because um, it kind of uh, validates a lot of the feelings that we've had um, here at the U and and within our our program, the Real MD, um, and, and it's uh, it's so easy to just get bogged down in kind of the the nuts and bolts and just oh I need to like memorize all these different pathologies and I need to do X Y and Z um, and we forget about all of this this. Uh, the professional side of things and how to communicate with people and how to, how to be a leader, how to work with a team. Um, and those things are just so critical for every physician, every healthcare professional needs to know how to do that. Um, I'm curious. So today we spent a lot of time talking about conflict management and, uh, I, I know usually your audience uh, tends to be more in the professional sphere. Um, I, I'm curious what, uh, when you were preparing to talk to the students, were there any um, 
what messages are the same to students um, that you give to professionals and, and which ones are a little bit modified, I guess? To be honest, the the main thing that we modified was the context. I mean, that's what's most important because these skills follow you in every context. So if I'm good at conflict management, I'm good at it at home, at work, you know, in my dealing with my roommate or these skills are the same no matter who you are. If you're a student or you're a faculty member or you're a professional staff member, um, it's just the context that we try to put the skills in into situations and people that they would likely potentially have conflict with or settings where they would come up against conflict. So we try to make sure that the the learning environment is reflective of their context. But I think the skills are the same no matter where you where you are. And I think the the hard part about skills like conflict management is that people can hear them and they sound like common sense. Like, yeah, that would make sense if I'm having a conflict with someone that I would sit down and and we would talk through it as a strategy. So the understanding kind of the best practices is easy. It's the actual doing of it that's difficult. Um, And you don't know the twists and turns that are going to occur in that dialogue and how you should respond. So um, I, I think as we we start with some basics. Here's what you need to know about conflict management. But I think as people progress in their career, they need more practice with applying them in different types of situations and dealing with some unique circumstances. So I completely agree with what Christina is saying. Um, First of all, we would have done the same exact content if there was a room of deans or if there was a room of high school students. Um, And I think that with with conflict management and with every single leadership skill, so insert X, um, it's 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 being made aware, but most importantly, applying practice and applying. I mean, one of the best tips I heard someone once say is um, to try to find sort of low hanging fruit situations, non threatening situations where you could practice the skill so that when it comes to more of a high stakes situation, you've already had some practice. So it's not the first time you're trying to remember back, what did I learn in that workshop? Um, you know, it, you know, if, if you're learning the skill of negotiation, maybe go to a farmer's market and negotiate a little bit for those apples. It might seem silly, but that's actually practicing the skills that you learn. And with conflict management like we did today. Um, you know, if you see a, a difference and maybe you would have let it go, but you do really want to practice your skills, bring it up with, with your buddy or your roommate or your lab partner um, and and really try to practice the skills. Because just like going to the gym and, and when you work on a muscle set, it's the same with any leadership skill. Um, you just need to practice and develop it and, and then it becomes more intuitive to you. But again, going back to, I do also agree that the earlier you sort of embrace these skills, I think the the better that it will serve you your entire lives. And uh, a follow-up on that, what do you think is the best way you do? Um, today we had kind of a, a workshop series during lunch, um, and I thought it was really effective that we were able to, to break and, and practice it um, just for a, a few minutes every once in a while. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, how do you usually manage follow-up after these sessions? Um, is there anything you do to kind of remind people or encourage people like, Hey, it's been a month since that session. Any progress? Have you noticed any differences? I mean, follow-up is absolutely critical because learning is a process, not an event. So you can't attend a one hour workshop, a four hour workshop and say, okay, I've got this now. I'm good to go. So it is an ongoing process of trying things out, getting some feedback, learning from that. 
Um, I'm going to say that that is a is a best practice. We struggle at the AAMC with the folks that come to our workshops are not our employees. And so while we try to reach back out to them and give them additional support resources, we've tried to re-engage in a couple of our programs. We've tried to re-engage them in follow-up webinars. We kind of lose them a little bit because they get back to their institutions, they get back in their everyday life. So while we believe that is a critical part of the learning process, it's a bit of a struggle for us to keep people engaged once they leave our doors because we, we're we not within their field of view anymore. Um, so I really am impressed with the, the fact that you're doing that here at, through the podcast. And, you know, it was a nice way to follow up from the workshop today, you know, so that you're, and you're carrying some things forward, which, um, you know, I really commend and is a really important part of the learning process. I have a question as far as um, just leadership development in general, from the perspective of the AAMC, it seems like there's a, a realization of physicians are required to have skills in order to be successful that they aren't formally taught in medical school. Um, how are you guys kind of attacking that problem of, you know, how are we going to teach a nation of medical students leadership skills and conflict management and um, mentorship type things? And, and, and then the different things that we've talked about with you guys, how are you approaching kind of tackling that monumental task of finding a way to educate an entire new generation of physicians so that by the time we get to being interns, residents, attendings, um, we've spent sufficient time developing those skills so that we can effectively deliver patient care. Um, the first thing I'll say is this is new for us, like brand new. We're in the very early stages of trying to figure out how we can serve students. And as you said, Bridger, like it's there's there's millions of students. Not millions. Can we edit that? There's a lot of students out there. How can we possibly impact all of them um, through the AAMC? I would say right now uh, we are impacting students by helping to develop the faculty as role models for some of these skill sets. So I think we can have we we're having an impact there right now and trying to you know help our faculty embody these skills of emotional intelligence, conflict management, communication. So we hope that some of it is imparted to students just through the normal learning process. Um, but we, we do have to tackle like how how are we going to help those schools that don't currently have leadership development programs in place um, develop these skills and integrate this into their culture and into somehow, not necessarily into their curriculum, but into the learning process for the students. So that's what we're trying to figure out. And we've gotten some really great ideas through being here the last couple of days and hearing the program that you're doing. You know, the AAMC has always been known as a really great convener of our constituents. And some our constituents just want to be brought together to talk. So if we can find a way to bring medical schools together to talk about how we can tackle this and how we can build a community around this, we'll have a, a lot more power, I think, in doing that than like than Shira and I going to every medical school. You know, we'd be on the road 365 days a year. So looking for ways just to kind of leverage the whole community of, uh, of our medical schools to try to help work work on this together. I completely agree. I think you've asked such a great question. And so we could either choose to just be completely overwhelmed by the task, or we could roll up our sleeves and just make a difference everywhere that we can. And I think that everyone that 
goes through one of our programs or that we interact with, um, I'd like to think that we send back and they sort of start to change the culture back at their home institution. So we may not be able, in fact, I know we are not able to touch and interact with every single physician, faculty, staff at every single medical school and teaching hospital and the VA. Um, but we can make a difference for a few and then hope that those seeds are planted and, and, and a difference is made and culture sort of changes. Um, so that's sort of my response to your great question. Yeah, I like the way that uh, you're working with physicians and, and you're also working with students. And um, one thing that I, I've kind of thought about is as medical students, oftentimes we hear like, oh, yeah, we want to teach you this certain way um, so that when you're professionals, like you can change the environment. Um, and sometimes I wonder um, – how much of that we're going to remember when we're residents and we're sleep deprived and we have this role model of, of who we're supposed to be like, um, whether that's older residents or attendings, um, are we going to remember these lessons that we learned, uh, during medical school? And, and the optimist in me says like, yes, like we'll be fine, you know, and I'll be able to stand up to that attending and say like, actually, I think we should do this instead. Um, but but sometimes I wonder, and so I, I think having that multifaceted approach and, and kind of uh, talking to people at different levels is a much quicker way and, and more effective way to change the culture. I think that's a great point. And I also think that um, I think you could le- learn different strategies. Like you could have a go-to response to sort of buy yourself some time or or what did you mean by that? Or some sort of like a couple of sort of trigger sentences that, that would help you that, again, it's all about the practice. If you sort of start now where I, I'm not at all implying that life is stress-free for you, <laughs> but it's just going to get more and more stressful. And so if, if now with the stress that you have, you start to practice and employ strategies um, for high st- for situations where where there's a conflict arises or you don't like the way you're being spoken to or you want to advocate, you're, you're seeing something you're, you don't like and you want to speak up for your friend or colleague. I just think that, again, it's all, in, at least in my opinion, it's all about the practice. And so the more you practice, it's actually, you're, you're not going to have to recall it. It's just going to become intuitive to you, just how you respond because that's something that you've sort of worked on. One question that I uh, was just that what you said made me think of is if we're going to um, change the way that people think intuitively, or there's got to be some kind of reinforcement, right? And I think that's so cool about what we have kind of going on here is that we're, we're having these conversations with different leaders. I mean, you guys are leaders nationally for the AAMC and we've got different physicians that we've interviewed that are local leaders, but it seems like there seems to be uh, an awareness of the fact that things need to change and that there needs to be a shift. And it's actually pretty cool to see people willing to kind of take that on. Um, what are some of the other things that you guys do workshops on other than conflict management? Like what are, what are, would you say like the three topics that you guys speak on most and you do the workshops on and that have, uh, the greatest response from the audience? (laughs) Good question. Oh, and, the, and the reason for the pause on that question so is we have so many <laughs> programs um, because it's interesting that each – it seems that their academic medicine is pretty broad and there's lots of different groups. You know, there's those who work in student affairs, those who work in IT, you know, those – and each kind of group 
would like to get together with other people who are in like roles from other medical schools and network and learn together about leadership. So we've ended up with kind of a a pretty extensive catalog just to help people um, network within their area of academic medicine. The other reason I'm hesitating is we – the AAMC puts out a lot of learning in a seminar format, which is we'll do a few hours on – Let's say negotiation, and then we'll do a few hours on uh, organizational culture, a few hours on, let's say, time management or priority setting. And so we cover a lot of ground, and we find that that is what our constituents ask us to do. They want to come and they want to get as much as they can out of it um, and get exposed to lots of different skill sets. One thing I'll kind of add to that is we try more in the early career level, so junior faculty, assistant professors, people uh, who are really newer um, into their roles. We try to focus a lot on personal leadership more so, which is very similar to some of the concepts that you're working on in the Real MD program right now. Or you've had some good good things around finding purpose, setting goals, finding a mentor, things of that nature. Uh, the uh, And as people progress in their career and they're more mid-career, we try to really make sure that we're stepping it up to more people leadership skills. And then finally, for those at the uh, organizational leadership level, like an associate dean or department chair, they must have organizational leadership skills. We cannot go back and talk about personal leadership at that phase of your career. They really need to be out in front leading their organization. They have to understand change management. They have to understand how culture works and the influence of culture in the organization, how to shape and influence your culture. They have to learn about finance and some of the challenges there and how to work through those things. So that's how we set up our our curriculum. To answer your question, Bridger, and then I'd like to see what Shira thinks too, I would say the two topics that came up a lot that people want are negotiation skills come up a lot as something that people are looking for, change management. You know, we do a survey every year for our annual meeting asking what topics people want to hear about. Change management comes up all the time. That's because change is no longer an event now. It's just a continual process at our institutions, and they need help with that, um, as well as uh, a little bit on the conflict management has come up um, as well. So I, I think we're in uncertain times in academic medicine. So it, that tells me negotiation, conflict management, change management, how am I going to deal with the ambiguity and some of the tensions that are arising because of that, you know, as we try to figure out the future of academic medicine. Um, I think that was great. Everything that Christina said, I, 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 it is a hard question because we cover so many topics. So when I was trying to think how to answer you best, Bridger, I was trying to sort of distill down. So I, I think if I had to, I don't want to, but if I had to sort of um, narrow it down, I would say for starters, communication, because to me, um, being able to communicate effectively um, has so many sort of avenues. I, if I can communicate effectively, I can also handle conflict. If I can communicate effectively, I can negotiate better. I can advocate for myself. Um, and I could just be a better, all my interpersonal communications will be better if I communicate well. So an overarching bucket would be communication. And then a second one is just the idea that you're not alone. Um, people love the networking uh, that 
the networking abilities that we offer at our AAMC programs because they might be the only person doing exactly what they're doing at their institution, but there's 150 plus medical schools across the United States and there's lots of people doing exactly what they're doing in other places to sort of have the idea that you're not alone and meet others. And then also sort of to look at a different avenue and say, I'm not alone. I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z. And oh, wow, there's all these other people that are also struggling with that. I'm not, it's not unique to me. Yeah. And some, somebody else has already started to figure it out. So I can kind of learn from them. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of really high energy happens in our seminars when they can get around problems together. Yeah. Cause I was going to mention, that's such a great point because we do a lot of peer coaching. So, um, we'll, we'll allow people time to sort of come with their own sort of challenge that they're dealing with at work and then they get their peers sort of take take on the problem and sort of they brainstorm together solutions and sort of nice to get out of your own headspace and let others sort of take the problem and so you're not alone would be second and then third I would also just I think a big bucket is self-awareness just um, you know recognizing what are my strengths what are things I need to work on what is my sort of style of working and recognizing that that's just one style of working and I have to work with lots of people every single day. And so how do I learn then to adapt my style of working to work with others? So that helps with teamwork. I mean, it sort of also, and it also makes me aware that there, I'm going to be a work in progress my entire life as I should be. And so there's always going to be things I uh, need to work on. Um, And so um, those are like three very high level themes I think would serve all of us well from from a student, you know, onward. So along the lines of, of leadership and conflict management, are there any outside resources or books that you uh, tend to recommend over and over again? Yeah, there's a book called um, uh, Being, I want to say Being a Competent Leader. It's be- it's con- being a conflict, conflict competent leader. Being a conflict competent leader. Thank you. Yeah. It's by Rundy and Flanagan. Um, and that is... Um, it's conflict dynamics theory. Um, so what I like about that book, and they have an associated assessment with that book that we use in our workshop, is that it really focuses on like 15 different behaviors um, that people use when they respond to conflict. Uh, and I, I like that though all of those behaviors are things that you can work on. You know, they're very discrete things that you can recognize yourself in some of these behaviors and they give you ways that you can work on those things. Um, so it's very, very practical. Well, I know you guys have a flight that you guys have to catch. Um, but just wanted to ask you guys for some closing wisdom. So we've got mostly preclinical students listening to this podcast right now. We've got some clinical medical students and I don't know if we've got any other physicians other than the ones that we've interviewed that are listening to their, their own episode to, I don't know, get the views up because we've got some competitions going on right now. But um, I was just wondering if you if you had a chance to speak with every medical student, you know, in the country right now um, about professional development or leadership development, um, what would be your your words of wisdom regarding because today we talked a lot about conflict management. So that's sort of in my head right now. Um, There's two things that I always sort of fall back on and, and they're They've really served me well. And one is uh, to assume good intent. I just think that we always just too quickly go to um, really negative, sinister reasons behind things. And um, if we could sort of re refresh and reboot and assume good intent, I think that the way we would look at a lot of things would, would be different and much more productive. Um, and then the other 
thing that I always sort of a mantra I say in my head is that if you don't talk it out, you act it out. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to remember that it is sometimes a little bit scary. You get a stomach ache about having to have a conversation you really don't want to have. But it's, if you don't talk it out, it's going to come out in some other way. And so um, it's just really much more healthy to sort of talk it out before all of a sudden you start acting it out. And those are two things I'd love to sort of leave people with. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Okay, good. I'm glad Shira didn't take take mine because <laughs> we think a lot alike. Um, so I w- I'll go more on the whole leadership development angle. Um, always remember leadership is a behavior, not a position. There are a lot of people who have a big title who people think, oh, they're the leader and their behaviors are nothing like what I believe leadership should be. Um, so no matter where you are, whether you're you know, a student or a junior faculty member or uh, on the staff or you're the janitor emptying the garbage cans, I mean, leadership is a behavior. It is something that is enacted through behavior, and it has nothing to do with your position in a lot of circumstances. Well, I really appreciate it. Uh, I know it's meant a lot to all of us here at the University of Utah to have you two uh, spend the day with us. And uh, it's been a special treat, a little little bit of a bonus to have you on the podcast as well. So uh, we hope you all the best and have a wonderful flight. Thank you so much for having us. All right. Thank you. And thanks for listening.